Well, thank you again for being here. Those tuning in online, grateful that you do that. You know, uh, Sunday, for example, um, I had a, a, I met a lady out front who was visiting with us on Sunday. She's moved now to the upstate, and she was here, and she told me, she said, I used to live in Surfside, and I'd watch you every Sunday. I had no idea. And I hear that a lot. People coming, you know, uh, coming to our church and so forth, and they say, oh, well, my aunt watches you, my grandfather, my brother, or I watch you, or I watched you for years. I mean, it's just amazing. So who knows who's tuning in tonight, and we're grateful that you are. Well, tonight's study is entitled, Serving Others the Right Way. We are almost through the book of 1 Peter. We will conclude that book soon, but would you take God's Word and go to 1 Peter chapter 5, the final chapter in this letter we call 1 Peter. Now, last week we talked again about suffering and persecution. That's a recurring theme in the letter of 1 Peter because... Uh, it was such a great need that the people that he was writing to, they were facing real suffering and real persecution. So last week we talked about a final word, a final instruction, if you will, about those times of persecution and suffering. Tonight, in essence, what we're going to be looking at in this chapter, or at least the first few verses of this chapter, we're going to see that those times of persecution and suffering demand that God's people have good spiritual leadership. Peter begins the fifth chapter by reminding and encouraging the church pastors to work faithfully, to do their work faithfully. So tonight the question is this one, what are the qualities that a pastor needs to do his work well? Or you could say it this way, what are the qualities that a pastor needs in order to serve others the right way. That's really what we're going to be focusing on in the first four to six verses, depending on how much time that we have left tonight. But before we dig into that question, and before we dig into this text, I thought it would be good for us to get an overview of the entire fifth chapter. And for the final time, we're going to be viewing uh, that video series, Kyle Eidelman, Reverend or Dr. Kyle Eidelman, He's been teaching through 1 Peter, and we've watched it a few times. And tonight he has kind of a summary of the fifth chapter. I think it's about ten minutes long. And it'll be a good way for us to introduce us into tonight's study. So let's watch this together. As we have been studying the book of 1 Peter, here's what Peter has been saying to his fellow believers, and here's what I am saying to you. We have this hope in heaven that cannot be touched. And so that means we don't put our hope in things returning to the way they used to be. We don't put our hope in being popular and well-liked. We don't put our hope in our freedoms. We don't put our hope in our rights. We have a hope, and our hope is a living hope, and it doesn't spoil, it doesn't diminish, it doesn't fade. It is kept secure for us. And our hope can't be voted out by popular opinion. Our hope can't be overturned by a split decision. Our hope can't be robbed by some new ruling. Our hope is alive. And he has a name. His name is Jesus. And he is a hope that does not disappoint. 
And when we look at our challenges and our struggles through that lens, it gives us strength and it allows us to have joy. It allows us to be motivated towards holiness and to live holy lives that are distinct. It allows us to have a spirit of humility because we understand it's not what we've accomplished, it's what's been accomplished for us. And when people start to see that distinctiveness, when the natives start to notice there's something different, suddenly we will have a chance, as Peter says, to tell of the night and day difference that God has made in our lives through Jesus. And as a result, may there be many more on the day that Christ returns who celebrate. So in chapter five, Peter starts the end of his letter by urging the leaders of the church to be faithful, to serve faithfully. He desires that church elders shepherd their flock for the good of the flock, not for the selfish gain of the leader, to be devoted in setting the example as a Christ follower, even in suffering, or maybe a better way to say that is especially in suffering. Here's verses one through three. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and as a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Verse three, he says, not lording it over them who have been entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So. There is a promise for the church leaders who remain faithful, that if they serve the church well, if they finish the race, that when Jesus comes, they will be kings and queens crowned in glory. Verse four says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. At the end of his letter here, Peter implores the leaders of the church to be faithful. And he moves quickly then to talk to those who are being led in the church. Leaders have a big responsibility, but so do those who are being led. For the sake of unity in the church, Peter calls on those who are being led to submit themselves to the leaders and act with humility toward one another. Look at verse five. He says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to the elders. All of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So remember what we've said, that the word submit is in the middle voice and it literally means to place yourself in submission or to place yourself under. And so it is willing, it is sitting down on the inside as well as on the outside. Biblical submission is placing yourself under someone by choice and with a happy spirit. So what's the biggest difficulty in submission? Pride. And what's the biggest problem in leadership? Pride. What is the solution to both? Humility. And this has been a theme as we have read through 1 Peter. Humility is key. And I love the word picture that Peter uses here. He says, clothe yourselves with humility. In other words, it's not forced, but you willingly and you intentionally put it on like a pair of clothes. When you're living in a more hostile culture, that's not easy. Our pride wants to fight back. Our pride wants to demand to be heard. But Peter says, clothe yourself with humility. So before you go to school in the morning, put some humility on, get it out of the drawer. It's hard to get to humility, it's in the back, but 
put some humility on. While you're getting dressed for work in the morning, throw some humility on as well. Choose to consider others better than yourself. Choose to not retaliate. Choose to have a teachable spirit. Show the kind of respect that you want to be shown. Peter says that God opposes the proud. A refusal to clothe yourself with humility means that for that day, God is opposing you. He isn't just neutral or indifferent. Peter says he is in opposition to you. When we lower ourselves and put on humility, though, God will lift us up. In verse 6, Peter tells the people that they should give their worries to God because he will soon call them home. Verse 6, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. And so much of 1 Peter is a call for God's people to live in holiness and humility. But too often, what happens? Well, holiness leads to self-righteousness. Holiness ends up leading to pride. The moment holiness causes us to become proud, we're no longer holy. Humility is the foundation of holiness. In chapter 5, verse 7, he says to these people who are really suffering, people who are really experiencing persecution and hardship, he says, cast all your anxiety on God because he cares for you. I love the language he uses here because it, it reminds me of being a dad. Dads, I don't know if you're in a season as a parent where you hear this, but for a long time, I would hear constantly from my kids the question of, dad, can you carry this? I don't hear it much anymore. My kids have gotten older and bigger and stronger. Uh, they're more independent these days. And to be honest, I miss it. I miss them asking me to carry things that were too heavy for them to carry. And once in a while, my kids wouldn't just say, can you carry this? They would say, can you carry me? And as a dad, I loved that. When you're experiencing suffering of any kind, when you're experiencing the hardships of this life, when the trip is really bumpy, cast all your cares on God because he cares for you. The word cast is the idea of transferring ownership. You're not just releasing your anxieties into thin air. You're transferring ownership to God and you're trusting him to take care of things because he cares for you. Verse 8, Peter says, watch out, be alert and of sober mind because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Verse 9, resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Peter says, you're not alone in this. And so he wants us to cast our cares on God, but he also wants us to resist the devil to stand firm. And then there's this beautiful promise in verse 10. Peter says, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And so Peter closes his letter to the Christians in exile in the same way that he opens his letter with personal thoughts and some shout outs. We tend to skip over these final greetings because they seem to be kind of afterthoughts and consequential, but they're an incredible demonstration of Peter's care for God's people and the togetherness that we share on this journey. Verse 12, he says, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God, so stand fast in it. So I would say, brothers and sisters, 
fellow followers of Christ. In this life, you will have trouble. Things will be difficult. There will be suffering and there will be pain. As Peter did, we will live increasingly in a hostile world, but our God cares for us. We can offer our worries to him and we can embrace the hope that one day we will be with him forever. I will close our series with the words that Peter closes his letter with in verse 14. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. been a good series and that's a good summary of chapter 5 and I love the fact that it was filmed in Boston uh, where our folks will be heading tomorrow morning. Well, Kyle did a good job of trying to put into perspective the entire fifth chapter but also helping us understand that times of persecution and suffering demand that God's people have good spiritual leadership and so Peter begins the fifth chapter by reminding and encouraging the church pastors who are doing their work, to do their work faithfully. Remember now, he's writing this letter not just to a church, but if you go back to chapter 1, to verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So he's not writing to a church, nor is he writing to a pastor. Peter is writing to the churches that were scattered in that part of the world and the leaders of those churches. So he begins the fifth chapter before he closes this letter. He begins what we call the fifth chapter by reminding and encouraging those church leaders, those church pastors, to do their work faithfully. And so we're going to try to ask and answer this question tonight. What are the qualities that a pastor needs in order to serve others the right way. I'm going to give you three things. If you're taking notes, you can write these down if you'd like to do that. <clears throat> but qualities that a pastor needs. Again, not writing to a pastor, but pastors. What are the qualities that a pastor needs in order to serve others the right way? Here's the first one. The pride of position must be absent. What does that even mean, Keith? Well, write it down. Let me explain it to you. The pride of position must be absent. Um, look how Peter begins this text in verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. Of all the Lord's disciples, who would, who would have thought that Peter would be the one to pin the words to the church leaders. I mean, I, the reason I say that, if you know anything about the Gospels and the way Peter kind of conducted himself in the Gospels, Peter argued with, for example, Peter argued with and rebuked the Lord when Jesus talked about his suffering and his death. Peter had the arrogance to argue with and to rebuke the Lord Jesus himself. Or... If you know the Gospels, Peter argued with the other disciples one day 
about who the greatest was among that group and who would be the greatest in the coming kingdom. And if you read the text, it appears Peter thought he would be up there near the top of the list. Peter arrogantly said to Jesus one day, others may fall away, but I never will. So when we read chapter 5 verse 1, those, and the verses that follow, I can't help but chuckle again when I remember who wrote those words. Who wrote these words? Well, it was Peter. But when I read these words, I get this strong sense that this is Peter who is a changed man. Peter whose view of leadership has radically been transformed. Peter's perspective on leadership is very similar to that of Jesus. In fact, I will try a little bit tonight and then again next week to remind you that what Peter writes in this fifth chapter sounds a lot like what Jesus said in different places. So, I want you to notice again how Peter begins this chapter. Rather than introduce himself in this letter as, in this chapter rather, as an apostle, Rather than say, Peter, the guy who was one of the inner circle of Jesus, you tell me, how did he refer to himself in verse 1? Yeah, he didn't just say an elder, nor did he say a distinguished elder. He referred to himself as a fellow elder. Now, think about this for a moment. Although he was an eyewitness of Jesus and an eyewitness of his suffering and his death and his resurrection, he was an eyewitness to all of that. He emphasizes that he's a partner with these other pastors in ministry. He's not trying to set himself above them, but he's trying to emphasize he's one of them. He's a partner in ministry. They serve on the same ministry team. Now, what I'm about to tell you is um, a little bit uncomfortable because the whole thing is a little uncomfortable to me, talking about pastor and the role of the pastor, and since I am one. Uh, but what I'm about to tell you, I think is very important for you as a layman to have the perspective of how this was a changed man. Peter was a changed leader. Have you ever thought about the potential for pride that ministers face? Uh, that's probably not something that's occupied a lot of your brain waves, but the potential for pride that every minister faces. I'm not saying that they all have that pride. I'm saying they have the potential and they face this temptation, if you will. I'm, I'm going to give you three, three reasons why ministers face the challenge of pride. The first one is, ministers speak on behalf of God. Now, that's just not me making that up, and that's not me being prideful or anything. I'm going to give you two scriptures to, to help you see this. If The first one is right there in First Peter. I just go over one chapter. We've already read this verse, but let me remind you in chapter 4, verse 11, he says, If anyone speaks, speaking about those who are teaching and preaching, if anyone speaks, he should do it as one who, who is speaking, what? The very words of God. If you're teaching or preaching, you should speak, you should remember you're preaching, teaching, speaking the very words of God. But an even more convincing text might be First Corinthians, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians chapter five. Second Corinthians 
chapter 5. <clears throat> Look at verses 17 through 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and watch this, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that Christ was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And he's not speaking strictly just to preachers here. I've got to be true to the context. But look at what he says in verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. As if God were speaking through us. We want to say these words. So, uh, not to make too much of this, but ministers speak and serve on, the, on behalf of God. And so the temptation sometimes would always be this issue of pride. Look at what I'm doing. The second reason that ministers sometimes have the potential for pride is because they address large groups of people on a weekly basis. On a weekly basis, they're standing up in front of large groups of people and they're speaking and preaching and all of that. Number three, uh, sometimes... People make life-changing decisions based on what that minister is saying. They actually make life-changing decisions. So with all of that in mind, here's my point to you. All of, listen, 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 listen. All of these things and probably several more can lead easily to pride and, and to a terrible fall. It's not a coincidence that in the first four verses he talks to ministers about the importance of their work and then in the next two verses, verses 5 and 6, he talks about the importance of humility. Importance of being humble. That's why I love Peter's opening in this chapter. If Peter, who was one of the original twelve, one who was part of the inner circle... Peter apparently had learned the lesson, and he's not referring to himself as Peter the Great. He's referring to himself as a fellow elder. He's no different than the other elders. Now, let's pause for a moment. I don't want to make too much of all of that, but let's pause for a moment and deal with that word elder. Look, you see it in verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. I really would encourage you to write this down somewhere if you're taking notes. I want to help you understand some words that the New Testament uses. The words elders, bishops, and overseers refer to the same office. So sometimes people wonder, well, well we have, you know, what, what about elders and what about, what's this thing about bishops and overseers and also pastors? Elders, bishops, overseers, and pastors refer to the same office. I'll show you this again in Scripture. Go with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. <clears throat> We're going to look at verses 17 and verse 28, if you're taking notes. Acts chapter 20, verses 17 and 28. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. Alright, so... Paul is, is traveling. He wants to say a final goodbye to the church at Ephesus. 
And so when he was in Miletus, Paul sent word to Ephesus to the elders of that church in Ephesus. Now, go down to verse 28. Keep watch over your... They've arrived now. We, of course, we're, we're skipping some verses here. But the elders of the church have arrived. They're speaking to Paul there. And he says to them in his closing challenge to these elders, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of, of the whole... I'm sorry. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you... What's that next word? Overseers. He's speaking to elders and he calls them overseers. Then he says, be shepherds of the church of God or pastors of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Uh, we could talk about this some more, but I don't want to go too, too deep into that uh, study. But the word elder basically is, you say, well, what's the difference in these words? It's really the, the function that, that determines which word is used. The word elder refers primarily, not always, but primarily to the maturity of the leader. They are the elders of the church. It refers to the maturity. I'm talking from a New Testament perspective, not today's perspective, okay? From a New Testament perspective, the word elders primarily refer to the maturity of the church leaders. Bishop, overseer, and pastor refer to the responsibility of those leaders. All right? So again, we won't get too deep into that, but I just wanted to give you that introduction. During the New Testament period, here's my summary of it all. During the New Testament period, the office of elder and pastor and overseer were synonymous. They all had the same responsibility of caring for and leading the church. So here's, here's the first point that I ask you to write down. For a pastor or a minister to do his job well, the pride of position must be absent. Um, the, the, this idea of being prideful about who I am and what I do, that, that has to be absent from you if you are going to be a good pastor and a leader. <clears throat> so that's the first one. Number two, the heart of a shepherd must be present. That's the second point. The heart of a shepherd must be present. He says in verse 2 and 3, Notice how he says this. Be shepherds. He's saying to the elders, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Serving as overseers. There's that word. Uh, again, it, they're, they're synonymous. Serving as overseers. Not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over these entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Notice that Peter does not tell these fellow pastors that he's writing to to shepherd your own flock. That's an important statement. Peter says, be shepherds of whose flock? God's flock. It's not a small word there. You need to make sure you note that. Be shepherds of God's flock. This is Ladies and gentlemen, this is not my church. This is God's church. You are not my people. You are God's people. You are not my flock. You are God's flock. And my role as your pastor is to serve as hopefully a faithful under-shepherd of the chief shepherd. 
And we'll see that phrase in a moment, the chief shepherd. But, but let me show you some scripture to support what, what I'm talking about here. Uh, find the book of Titus. <clears throat> go over to the left, find the book of Titus, and go to chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. We're talking about the heart of a shepherd. Having a pastor, having the heart of a shepherd. And having the right attitude about the work that God's given him to do. Titus chapter 1 verse 7 is a very good verse. Since an overseer, or a pastor, since an overseer is entrusted with what kind of work? God's work. Again, just the incredible privilege, but the incredible responsibility. An overseer, a pastor, is entrusted with God's work. Because he's entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless. Not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, one who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine, and refute those who oppose it. Go to Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Acts chapter 20. That's an easier book to find. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and... All the flock of God, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which He bought with His own blood. Just yesterday, just yesterday I was meeting with three young pastors. Uh, this is the second time I've met with them. The whole purpose of meeting with this, these young pastors is just to kind of help them talk about men. In fact, we call it shop talk. And I don't have all the answers. We don't, it's not that kind of a thing. It's, it's where we get together as pastors and just talk shop. Now, because I've been doing it longer than they have, you know, I, I, I do have some things that I share with them. But, but it's really us talking together about how, how do you do ministry? How do you pastor? How do you lead the church? And one of the things that I said to these young pastors yesterday, I did not read them this verse, but what I was saying to them is summarized in that verse, and that is, keep watch over yourselves. First and foremost, the pastor has to do that. Keep watch over yourselves. And all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So I was talking to these young pastors about making sure that your heart is right and that your life is right and that you don't, you don't fall and fail in ministry. Well, Peter, going back to, the, to this letter of 1 Peter, uh, I'm going to move through this rather quickly. Peter uh, gives us some Three practical attitudes that every pastor should have as he serves God's people. And he structured these, these attitudes 
uh, with a negative quality and the corresponding positive attitude. In fact, as we read the next verses, looking at verses 2 and 3, I want you to look for two words. I want you to look for the word not and the word but. As he talks about these attitudes, practical attitudes, that every pastor should have as, as he serves people. He says, beginning in verse, the second part of verse 2, not because you must, but in comparison to that, because you're willing, as God wants you to be. That's the first one. Then he says, not greedy for money, but in comparison to that greedy for money, eager to serve. Verse 3, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but in comparison, being an example to God's flock. Three positive attitudes that every pastor, every minister needs. One is a willingness that you're doing it because you want to. You're not, you're not forced to do this. You feel called to do this. You have a willingness in your heart. Number two, you're eager to serve others. I, uh, because we're running close on time, I don't want to... I'll just give you the references. I'm not going to turn to them and read them. Titus 1, verses 10 and 11 talks about this eagerness to serve others. And then this meekness. This meekness where he says, uh, not lording it over those entrusted to you, as if I'm the boss and everybody has to do what I say, not lording it over people as if you're in control of everything, but trying to be examples. Examples. To the flock, he says. And then we finally come to the last one that I want to give you verse, based on verse 4. Uh, so, the, so this third, uh, how is a pastor supposed to conduct himself? The third one is this. There should be a desire to serve the chief shepherd. A desire to serve the chief shepherd. Uh, here's how Peter describes it in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd, that's Jesus. You see, every pastor, including the one speaking right now, every pastor of every church is the under-shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd. I, I'm called to be the shepherd of Mount Airy Baptist Church. I'm, I'm called to help shepherd your life. I get that, and, and I take that responsibility very, very seriously. I'm called to be the shepherd of Mount Airy. But I'm still just the under-shepherd of the chief shepherd who is Jesus and so let's read and see what he says here and when the chief shepherd appears you the fellow pastors the fellow elders you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away uh, now we'll talk about this crown of glory in just a moment but I want you to focus on this desire this willingness this understanding that I'm serving under the chief shepherd Shepherding God's people is the greatest honor and privilege of my life. It is also one of the greatest responsibilities I can ever imagine. I, it's hard for me to imagine a greater responsibility than shepherding. I know there are some, but right now it's hard for me to imagine a greater responsibility than shepherding God's people. But one of the reasons it's such a great responsibility is because I recognize there is a chief shepherd to whom I have to give an account. Now, I could show you the scripture on that one. We don't have time to read it. But there is the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, to whom I will give an account for how I shepherd and pastor Mount Airy Baptist Church. That is a great 
honor, but it is also a great responsibility. It's something I take very seriously. So he says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. What is this crown of glory that pastors are going to receive? Be honest with you. Can I be real honest? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know this. Whatever this crown of glory is, it will be the opportunity of my life to take that crown and place it at the feet of Jesus. Again, Revelation chapter 4, verses 10 and 11 talks about that, that very thing. Taking the crowns that we have and putting them at the feet of Jesus. But I will close with this. Any pastor that, that I know who is worth his salt will acknowledge that all that we have and all that we do and the responsibility and privileges that are ours are simply because of His grace and His power. Listen, I've told Lisa this and I have probably told you this over the years, but this is a good time to uh, say it again. I have no idea why God called me to preach. And in this life, I'll never be able to figure it out. I will never be able to understand why He called me to preach. Ever. Not on this side of eternity. But I do know this. Going back to chapter 4, verse 11. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. And if anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. So that in all things, God may be praised. Don't miss that. So that in all things, God may be praised. Through Jesus Christ. And to Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. That's a good word to go home on. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the instruction that is there, the encouragement that is there. And I just want to pray for my fellow elders, my fellow pastors here at Mount Airy, as well as all the other pastors and leaders uh, in this area. God, would You help us to serve You faithfully? Help us to remember we're just the under-shepherd under the chief shepherd. Protect our lives and our ministries. Help us to make good and godly decisions. And as we have so often prayed, I ask You to keep us close and keep us clean. I pray that especially for my life and for the pastors in our church. Keep us close and keep us clean so that we can serve You. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, folks. Appreciate you.